Good day, listeners. We are starting to think about harvest. I know it still feels like summer and most of our Pacific Northwest winemakers and listeners aren't really in harvest mode yet, but it is time or in uh, certain instances, maybe a little bit late to be preparing for harvest. So in this episode, we're going to discuss preparing in the vineyard and there will be another episode that will be released next that is about preparing for harvest in the winery. If you have questions after listening, definitely write in. So with that, I'm I Haley. figured let's this is just start at the basics. We are full uh, cluster conversation. harvest? I feel like it's a basic question, but you know, yes. there's stuff to it. <laughs> yes, because I think in the wine world, something that... Um, we get a lot when we're talking and doing vineyard or sorry, winery tours and things is people get confused by us calling harvest harvest. Um, they know what a harvest is, like you, you know, pick some fruit that's ripe or harvesting things. But um, when winemakers are talking about harvest, they're talking about crush or basically the time when they're making their primary ferments. So picking the fruit, doing their primary ferments, that's all kind of lumped together as quote harvest. So what, when is a typical wine harvest? And I'm also going to throw in there thinking regionally or maybe like varietals. throw in some of those fun okay. facts. Most wine harvest uh, is, is in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, most wineries take fresh grapes and make them into juice or must. So that would be um, like crushed up berries and other solid things in there as well. Um, And then they do their primary fermentation. So that's uh, fall is kind of the very broad uh, timing for harvest. Um, We talked about must in the fermentation episode, I believe. Yeah. I remember because I I thought you were saying a different word. Cool. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And as far as timing regionally, um, it depends on whether you're a cool climate or a warm climate. If you're a warm climate, you're going to be harvesting earlier than a cool climate because your grapes are going to be um, ripe earlier. But if you're- Is that like California versus like Willamette Valley. Washington. Yeah. Okay. I'm just wondering how how we're defining cool because we're all northern hemispheres and not the equator. (laughs) So right. So and they can be either growing at the equator. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. (laughs) But it can even be different like in a in this region. So you look at the Walla Walla Valley and you have cool sites and warm sites. So as you're working with those different um, vineyard sites, you get to know when they're ripe and when you're going to be harvesting. And usually it's based on the varietal, but also if it's a cool or a warm site. So in the Southern Hemisphere, it's going to be the opposite of us still in their fall, but they're going to be harvesting, um, you know, in our quote spring. Um, So it's a little bit different timeline in terms of the year. And that means people can actually harvest hop so they can work in the Northern Hemisphere at a winery and then finish up their their harvest, have kind of some down months in the winery, getting everything put to bed, and then they can go to the Southern Hemisphere and work a harvest. And you can get a ton of experience that way if you're willing to travel. That's a really good point. Or for the consumer, we get more wine. Yeah. 
globalization. (laughs) Cool. So I was thinking about, because you were, you kind of started mentioning like, you know, regional harvests and timing and and stuff like that. And so um, again, hopefully I'm not jumping too far ahead, um, but... I was just thinking about, we had somebody, Rebecca, actually, a listener that wrote in, and I was just thinking about, you know, those home harvesters, and she had a really good question about kind of making pick decisions Mm -hmm. within her own, like, um, like small acreage uh, or, you know, small, like couple vines. Right. Um, And, you know, using something like she actually listened, she wrote in and said she listened to our uh, episode and bought herself a refractometer. She's done the pruning, which is like so awesome to hear that she's like learned all these things um, from the, the thing. But she was saying, okay, so if... I'm ready to go into harvest and I have something like a small amount or we can just extrapolate that out to like how the larger vineyard's doing it. But like, how do you make those pick decisions? Do you look at like each cluster and then take the average? You harvest them individually as they become ripe? Um, Go for it, Haley. There's a lot of questions in there. (laughs) I think uh, I'm going to unpack this a little bit at a time. So I'm going to start with... um, answering a couple questions that kind of came about in that, uh, about how we harvest. When um, different wineries, first off, are looking for different things in their grapes. Some people are just interested in reaching a certain sugar level. And if that's the case, then typically they're going to be adjusting other things in the winery. So you'll get in a grape that has the specific sugar level you're looking for. And then once it gets into the winery, you're going to add acid or other things in order to balance out what you want. Or um, the reverse can be true as well. If you're looking for a certain acidity level, then you can get it back into your winery and adjust the sugar. Um, And... If you're a really big winery, sometimes your pick decision is based on whether or not you have space to accept that wine or those grapes that day. So maybe everything's ready to pick, but you can only process so many thousands of tons per day if you're a really big winery. And so you have to just say, we're not picking that today because logistically we can't accept it. Um, So... That's kind of the logistics side on the large scale of when you make a pick decision. It's usually based on acidity, sugar, and space. Those kind of three things. When you're really small like we are, we can make sure we have enough space for almost everything to come in within a couple days of each other. It's not ideal, but we could do it if we needed to. So for a home winemaker, um, it's going to be a lot more... Well, okay, let me take a step back again. When a winery makes a pick decision on a vineyard block, they are going to pick the block or a certain okay. number of rows or a certain amount of tonnage from that block. So say you you need to make five tons of rosé. So you're going to pick five tons. It's not going to be like, only pick the clusters that are that look like this and not like that. Obviously, if you have a great crew, you can, and you're handpicking, you can say, look, we don't, um, if you have little clusters that didn't develop correctly, please don't pick those because we're just going to have to pick them out on our sorting table anyway. Uh, something okay. like that. 
Um, or so is that generally when you're looking at it? I guess the real meat of the question in my mind is thinking about like these blocks that are, you know, you have all these different grapes. When you're going out and you're checking the bricks or the sugar content, are you just kind of doing law of averages and saying like, in general, I'm seeing this. And so great, let's just pick this whole block and it will just kind of like filter out. Is that kind of a, one of those winemaker decisions as well of like, in general, I'm seeing this, I'm okay with some that are under ripened. Or do some people like do just like what you said is like only get the ones that are really Mm -hmm. good. It, it does, it does just depend on, um, a couple different things. So when I pick samples, I, I wait until a couple, uh, weeks after variation, and then I start picking samples. Typically, I'll taste the samples um, like in the field before I start actually taking samples that I'm going to um, send to a lab to see what's going on with the chemistries. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, um, I prefer to take whole cluster samples. Um, and I usually fill up like a, a grocery, like a plastic grocery bag size thing or a couple gallon size Ziploc bags. Um, I, I feel like, um, with the way that we process our fruit and do things that gets the best representative sample, but Uh for a home winemaker, if you only have a hundred clusters, if you take 20 clusters, that's a lot of your, (laughs) your product. And so I would say, um, if you're a home winemaker, I think it's, totally fine for you to just take berry samples, but you're going to want to get a representative sample. So you don't just pick berries from the end of the cluster. You know, you want to pick them from kind of different clusters, all over the clusters, all over the plant. Um, Mm -hmm. And you don't need a gallon size bag either. You can just put them in like a, uh, um, sometimes I do this as well. Yeah, I put them in sandwich bags and I smoosh them up. Um, That's also a really good way to see how long you're going to need to macerate something to get color. So if you're making a rosé, you can kind of tell like, oh, geez, this got a lot of color really fast or this has been sitting for four hours and it hardly has any color. So that's kind of a nice way. It's when you have a ton sitting in a bin, it's going to be a little bit different than some, a couple great berries sitting on the counter. But the more uh, grapes or clusters you can get across the block that you're picking, the more representative the sample is going to be. So it is that law of averages. And there's definitely a science to it. Um, I always know our stuff is going to come in slightly differently than what my numbers say. Usually I get a little panicky because I'm like, oh, we got to get that stuff off. My acids are dropping. But then usually it's actually, my acids are a little bit higher than when I pick my sample. Because once you get all of that stuff in and press it, um, rather than um, just, you know, hand squishing it. And usually my sugars are a little bit higher as well uh, than than what, or sorry, lower than what I um, picked in my field sample. But I think using your refractometer, you can do just one grape and see how close you are. And as, as you get closer, as you're tasting the grapes on your vines as a homemaker and like maybe seeing, hey, this refractometer is showing that I'm getting close, then you can do your representative sample. That's probably the best way to do a home winemaking style. 
But also, if you know you have like secondary fruit, you can, because it's such a small scale, you can just pick those ones that are really ripe and leave the ones that are less ripe and hope that they get ripe later and you can pick them later. Cool. Um, I know that that kind of was a little derailed, but at the same time, I loved it because it really brought together, in my mind, all those different concepts. And especially for me, if you're listening and you're kind of more in the or you're in the industry and not a home wine maker, I think still that like those concepts of thinking at at the home wine level um, can be scaled out. And it just, for me, at least simplifies it. And um, that was a lot of cool information. I do have a question. You said a word, I think, visceration. Maceration. (laughs) Oh, you did say, okay. I was like, what what was this word? Yes. (laughs) Maceration. Um, When something macerates, it... I don't know what the exact definition is, but it probably is something along the lines of um, mushing or sitting with word. stuff in it, like like a liquid mm-hmm. and solid, um, um, having time to integrate or something like that. Um, so, within winemaking, maceration is when you have the s- skins and seeds, typically still part of the the yeah. must or the juice or whatever you want to call it, so that you're getting color, tannin, anything else that's in the skins and seeds that you might want to get some character. Cool. Okay. So that I felt like was a great way to kind of like start with like all of it. So let's break it down just a little bit more. And so, um, and kind of like step back. Now that we kind of have like, I think the big picture of some of it, like thinking how you're picking them off it. Um, When I think, you know, like, I think we didn't answer this question. Like we talked about when the typical wine harvest is, when should you start preparing? So we know that the wine harvest is in the fall. When should you really start preparing for that harvest season in the vineyard? This question, you could be a total uh, like a-hole professor and it could be like your trick question all the time. It's like, you should have been preparing 10 years ago um, or you can prepare the day before. Like <laughs> there's no right answer or wrong answer, but I will. I would say annually, mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea to start preparing for a harvest about a month before you plan to be picking. So- And what does that mean? Let's yeah. get at that. <laughs> yes. Um, for- most vineyards, because we're talking about the vineyard side of, of preparing for things, you're going to want to do any preventative maintenance on mm-hmm. tractors, trailers, um, equipment that you use for picking. Um, if you're hand, if you have a hand crew that you hire, you want to make sure that like all the tools are sharpened and and cleaned. Mm-hmm. Um, bit, like p- the hand pick bins that those are ready and cleaned. If you use half ton or um, what um, quarter ton pick bins. The thing that I see the most that I kind of go, oh, that would be an easy fix um, is those bins usually sit outside all year round. They're mm-hmm. super hardy bins and they hardly ever get cleaned. If they do, they usually yeah. just get like hosed out. So they're still pretty dirty. Um if you have harvest interns, a great way to t- teach them the first part of 
winery cleanliness is just Mm -hmm. say, here are all the bins for the season. We're going to teach you how to make Kim's and practice cleaning. Yeah. Um, And it's not, it takes time, but I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be all every single time you use them. It can be a one really good cleaning a year Mm -hmm. and then just um, spot cleaning the rest of the season if you're using them multiple times. Um, And then the other thing that I think a lot of vineyards sometimes forget to do is um, tear their scales. So if you're doing your own weights, just have something, whether it's, I mean, you're going to have to do a tear weight on your um, bins that you're picking into. So know exactly how much a bin should weigh. Um, you know, pick one that looks whole because sometimes they're missing pieces and then you're going to be slightly off. And just know that that's, you need that to be your baseline to make sure that your your scale is working correctly. Yeah, that's a really good, good, good thing. Um, I like that. Um, okay, so what are maybe some, thinking of all those things and, you know, that we're going to start about a month ahead of time. Is there anything else you wanted to mention for, like, scheduling out and thinking yeah. about, like, kind of that progression of of items? Yes. The one other thing that we have run into, because we are an early picker in our region, we're making sparkling wine, is we've run into a couple spray windows that we we aren't allowed to pick and make wine because something has been sprayed for... Uh, mildew or something else. So I would say if you're if you're on a regular spray schedule, you need to be really having a lot of conversations with your the people that are picking, whether that's you know yourself, <laughs> like yeah. paying attention to to your spray schedule versus your pick ideas. Or if mm-hmm. you have clients, if you're doing, if you're a grower that's working with other wineries, then you just need to be making sure, like, hey, just want to make sure I have an idea of when you're planning on picking this year, so that if if you start to run up against those, you can discuss that with the people. And if you're spraying for something like, um, if you have really bad leaf hoppers and you decide, oh my gosh, we need to do a spray for leaf hoppers, and that has a pretty big window for a pick decision, yeah. You can always spray after something's been picked. So if you're if mm-hmm. you're kind of in that window, um, it might not be ideal to wait, but it also for the winemaker is not ideal to push off a pick by a week or two. Yeah. When the when yeah. the fruit is ready to be picked, usually a winemaker wants to get it off. Cool. Um, let's just jump to making that pick decision. We talked a little bit about it with the, you know, home winemaker Mm -hmm. decision, but like who is making that decision and how do, let's just wrap that together with like, you know, the optimal time. Who's making that decision? When is that optimal time? And how do you schedule the cruise for then thinking about that pick? I think for young winemakers, making a pick decision is one of the most stressful things of the year. <laughs> like you can, I could see that. <laughs> even if something goes wrong in the winery and you have wine that's not doing what you want it to, you still, um, you can work on it. You can try to fix it. You can do whatever you need to. But making the pick decision is the first step in like making that wine. So the winemaker is typically the person who makes the pick decision. But if you are a winemaker working with a grower, then 
you need to, like I said before, just like the opposite way. As a grower, you need to be communicating with a winemaker. As a winemaker, you need to be communicating with your grower and saying, hey, we're we're kind of thinking about picking sometime next week, midweek. Do you guys have availability? Mm-hmm. Because if it's a popular time for harvest, um, if there mm-hmm. are a lot of other, like if a grower is working with a lot of winemakers, they might, yeah, th- uh, five other winemakers might have said, hey, we want to pick on Wednesday. And then guess what? Yeah. There's no, they don't have enough crews or enough equipment to pick for you unless you want to pick yeah. at four in the afternoon, which nobody wants to pick at four in no. the afternoon. So. I mean, that's a really good point that I want to bring up is that like the timing of the day of the pick one for yes. your crews, if you think about like the heat, because mm-hmm. this is usually August, September, October, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that is really important. And like also like the, the fruit and the berries throughout the day are doing something. So these harvests sometimes are like starting at, gosh, like three, four in the morning. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. just... Something that I think people don't realize, but right. that's like why when you're on your morning commute through wine country, as many people are, just kidding, but maybe, <laughs> uh, you might see people out there like super right. early and they've already been working for a couple hours. So, mm-hmm. um, And I think that that's something that a lot of vineyard managers, if they haven't been in the business very long, <laughs> like my parents, they don't realize <laughs> um, once you pick then there's several hours, if not an entire day's worth of work to do once you get that fruit back to the winery. So um, the first real harvest we had at our estate vineyard, where it was more than just, oh, here's half of a bin because we don't have any fruit. Um, We got it back to the winery and uh, it was, I said, we're not processing this today. I had said this a lot sooner, but we got it back to the winery and put it in the cold room because... We didn't, and that's not ideal, but yeah. um, a lot of winemakers, I think I think a lot, if I'm being honest, I think a lot more winemakers do that than will admit because mm-hmm. it is just a, a, if you don't have a crew that's work, if you don't have people working 24-hour shifts or, you mm-hmm. know, 12-hour shifts or eight-hour shifts and you have people there 24 hours a day, you can't process, you can't start processing fruit at two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, four in the afternoon, because then you have people there until two or three in the morning cleaning presses. Yeah. That's why, I mean, just to kind of reiterate it and and say it from a different point of my perspective is that's why like it's so important to think of your scheduling because you're not just scheduling your the pick crews, you're scheduling your workers. And that's also why when you hear people that are like, oh my gosh, it's harvest, it's because they're literally having to work. Like that's that's why uh, during grad school when I decided, hey, I'm going to just learn more about wine. And one of the reasons I think Vincent was like, yes, come help me, even though you know nothing, is because I was giving a person a day off. Like I was literally coming in and working like a 12-hour day so somebody else could just like have a a rest day in the week Um, because you're working like seven days a week because you're, it's like the... Grapes are ripening. Yes. They wait for no man. <laughs> you'll, you'll find, too, that a lot of wineries and vineyards that have been in the business for a while, they do have a certain day of the week that's kind of sacred. It might be Sunday. Yeah. It might be mm-hmm. Thursday. Um, yeah. But there's usually like one day a week that they kind of say, we don't really do anything on this day because we need to give our crew time. 
But yeah. once you get to a certain size, that doesn't work. So you have to just say, hey, we just yeah. run sh- crews 24 hours a day um, during, you know, uh, well, yeah. who knows when they're harvesting, but August 25th through October 15th or whatever. Um, yeah. So I will, as a person that's worked out in the field, I've done like hops harvest, for instance, and mm-hmm. that's another one that literally goes like all the time because it's, I think people forget about that. So I just want to do a shout out to all the people that work out in the fields. Like it is such a tough job. It's so underrepresented and it's so important um, for all of our like different crops. Um, And I think that I have feelings that everyone should should go out and and work in the field because you have such a greater appreciation for the product and like the hard work that goes into getting these things. And like you said, it is long days. Um, And yeah, so I just wanted to do that big shout out because I've worked several different harvests of different product. I have not yet done the harvesting of of grapes. So I think I got to put that on my resume. Okay. So I think, I feel like, I don't know, what am I missing, Haley? Where should I, how should we wrap this up? What other questions? Uh, The one other, uh, well, one thing for sure that I wanted to hit on was um, how to hire a crew for harvesting in the vineyard. So if you're doing hand harvest, you might be able to handle two or three acres um, of a hobby vineyard on your own, but it, depending on how heavy your fruit is, you might mm-hmm. need help harvesting or you're going to run into similar problems like we were just talking about, like, oh, guess what? It's going to take us four days to harvest this one block because <laughs> there's only three yeah. of us to pick and it, we're going to be out yeah. here for 12 hours a day, just pick, 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 pick. So I would say it's, uh, and you you know your vineyard or if you just acquired mm-hmm. a vineyard, you know, um, maybe you don't know it, but um if you have more than a couple acres and you have a mature vineyard, so it's going to be four plus tons to the acre, I strongly recommend considering hiring a pick crew. And mm-hmm. there's um, different ways to do that. If you are a hobby winemaker and so you're like, you know, if we don't get all the fruit or it's not a professional crew, that's okay. Look at ch- the options you have. If your kid is on the football team, say, Ask the football coach, hey, do you guys want a team building activity? <laughs> Everybody come out on Tuesday morning and help us pick as much fruit as we can for four hours. I mean... It could be a fundraiser activity. <laughs> yeah. Um, another way that people um, sometimes get not free labor, but um, complimentary labor that they then, <laughs> you know, maybe trade for or buy um, coffee and bagels and then lunch for is they put it out to their wine club. If they have a big enough wine club, they say, come and help us harvest. We have one block that, you know, it isn't really worth hiring a crew to come and help us pick. So come and help us. And then they provide coffee and breakfast and then lunch at the end. So they have a... I know, yeah. I was going to say, I know a couple of um, Willamette Valley um, winemakers that that's what they do. Like maybe, you know, they're winemakers and so they take the people out to it and they use it as kind of a fun experience. Oh, totally. Again, do it for trade of like, we're going to get you a fancy lunch and then Mm -hmm. we're going to like give you some bottles of wine. And like, honestly for some of them, there's like wait lists to help because right. people love that. They, it's like an experience of like learning more about the industry. Completely. So I will say yeah. um, from experience, be careful about um, 
<laughs> what you're offering people. Yes. If you are, if you're a home winemaker and you're inviting friends out, you can trade for anything, <laughs> pretty much. But um, if you are a, a winery, like a TTB, uh, you know, have an alcohol license winery, just be careful on what you're offering people in trade. Um, and but have fun with it. There are so many people that want to come out, and guess what? Those people are now brand ambassadors for you. So they're going to go out and they're going to talk about how awesome of a time they had, hopefully. Um, They're going to explain how important it is to do this, this, and this when they're out picking. So it's a great opportunity for wineries as well to just um, create an experience. And it might be a little expensive if you think about it out of pocket, but it's a lot less expensive in the long run because you now have 50 people that are going out and talking about what an amazing winery you are. Yeah, you can kind of think of it, like I think of it as like, because I did volunteer management as one of my past like careers. So I will say always treat your volunteers or people even your workers really well because mm-hmm. they will then make up for it in that brand ambassadorness yes. and also like um remember I was gonna I where I thought you were gonna go with that too is remember that they are volunteers so if there is this level of like I need a certain thing in a certain way just remember that they are out there to have fun right. and so Pick where, huh, pick where they are going to be picking right. <laughs> um, very selectively and knowing that it is a little bit of two-prong of you're getting a harvest, but you're also using that as like kind of a marketing slash event Completely. for the people that are into it. So you're, you know, take that with, you know, yes, not... It, I think that's a yeah. great point. Um, and I think that it's very important to remember if you're asking for free labor, that you need to treat those people with a red carpet experience. And if they, if somebody only wants to pick for 15 minutes, guess what? You can't be mad at that person. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I also think it's better to have more people to then work less hours. um, Even if it's a little bit harder to manage, that's probably, if you're planning on doing something like this, that's the better way to do it. Yeah, I know like I actually volunteer out at a farm some some weeks and they and that's just kind of their thing. It's like they know what the volunteers can handle mm-hmm. and it's more about getting people out there and like having a fun time and like setting low expectations yes. for what is getting done for the day and recognizing that it's more about the experience and getting people excited about your product right. in a different sort of way. So it's a great way to enjoy harvest and get people more involved in the vineyard. So, yes, yeah. definitely. The other cool. kind of crew that you might consider hiring, depending on how big you are or how much tonnage you have, is a professional crew. And if you, I don't know how all the different things work in different areas, but I would say reach out to other local farms, vineyards, orchards, and get in touch with the people that um, you need to that have different crews that go around and do that kind of work. Depending on when you're harvesting, you might be competing with other really cash crops. Um, and so they they might unless you have a good relationship with a crew like that or a crew chief, they might just be like, no, (laughs) we're picking nectarines today or what, I don't know what a good example is. Um, But if you, again, treat your crew well and um, you, depending on your timing, 
sometimes that also helps you make a pick decision. If they're available on a Tuesday, but you didn't want to pick until Friday, you might be picking on a Tuesday, depending on how big your vineyard is. Okay, one last thing, and then we can wrap it up. Yeah. It just reminded me. It's about... somebody with that works with cra- crews that are spraying, but I think it's such a great point. She, every time she has a spray crew out for her restoration sites, she brings out donuts to the contract crew. And what it has ended up being is that they will prioritize her because she treats them well. Again, this is a contractor. She's still paying them and all of that stuff, but she just takes that extra little bit of thing. And so they know like, hey, when I go out to her site, like she treats us well. She's really nice to us. So we enjoy, even if it's like not a great project or whatever, I mean, it's spraying, let's be honest, but um, (laughs) like taking those extra efforts with volunteers, with professional work crews, even they will remember that. And when you come up to your day of being like, it's, I need this or shifted, they'll be a little bit more accommodating if they, if you treat them well, versus if you don't treat them well, they're going to be like, "Mm, I'm sorry. We we have this other person we got to do. We're busy. So yes, completely. Keep that in mind. (laughs) Communicate, cool. communicate, communicate is, I think, the key in preparing for harvest and being harvest yeah. ready. <laughs> and schedule things out is what I also As much heard. as you can, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything, any last words? Um, one thing that I just thought of was if, if you're a new winemaker or even if you're a seasoned winemaker, if you're like, we're picking next Tuesday, have some grace. If, if the it's one or two days on either side, it's probably not going to make a huge difference. Um, in the quality of your fruit, unless you're up against a freeze or something. But have some grace, have some flexibility. That's all about how we make great wine is we're flexible. We, we go with the flow. We do what what needs to happen. Thank you, everybody, for listening again this week. And um, remember, next week we're going to talk about um, wine making or preparing for harvest in the seller. I was sitting yeah. in the vineyard. <laughs> so anyways, if you have questions about that, or if you um, loved hearing more about this and want to want us to touch in on maybe one of these topics a little bit more, write us in at um, wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com, or you can uh, slide into our DMs as the cool kids say. <laughs> I am not a cool kid. Um, and uh, you can... Uh, Yeah, just let us know what you're thinking and let us know uh, if there's any other topics you want to hear from us. Ciao. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.